Good morning, Harlem. It's good to see everyone. It's good to be back. We uh, we are grateful for all your prayers, and uh, my wife and I are truly grateful. Her her dad is super grateful uh, to have um, all of you praying for him, and he's recovering well and. Uh, you know, he's not completely out of the woods yet, but we do ask you to keep praying for us and and uh, asking God to, you know, bring about healing, but also just to really bring him uh, closer to God as well. And, you know, as we uh, we want all of our, our family to do well and and to be healthy. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you. And thank you for letting us take a break. I heard. Uh, Kevin Finity did a pretty good job. That's awesome. He's been wanting to come to Harlem for a long time. Everybody wants to come preach to Harlem. I don't know what it is. But everybody wants to come preach to Harlem. So I'm like, hey, just let me know. Our people love, they love to, they love to hear the word. Uh, before we get into our message, I do want to uh, just introduce our, we're starting a new series today. And uh, this year we've been recommitting. If you're joining us for the first time, we've been talking about recommitting ourselves to our relationships and uh, recommitting uh, spirit, specifically to our spiritual relationships. And so we're starting a new series uh, today called Love One Another, and we're going to get very practical. Uh, we're going to study out some of the one another scriptures, and we're going to get very practical on how we can make our covenant relationships really thrive and really grow, and, and also to, uh, you know, just to make sure that we are, are connected in a way that's going to really help us get to heaven and I, how many of you want to get to heaven? I mean, amen, right? You know, we can't get there by ourselves. You need somebody to help you get to heaven, right? And uh, so we want to make sure that we do the best we possibly can to help each other get there. Now, on that note, I did want to apologize for a comment that I made a few weeks back uh, towards some of our visitors. I made a comment that came out totally wrong, and I think, I'm thankful for the people who pointed it out. Uh, I made a comment about being totally committed. We only wanted to totally committed. Here's the thing. We want everybody, all right? And we are committed to helping each other be more committed to God. So it didn't come out wrong. Please forgive me. I hope that didn't offend anyone. If it did, we could talk afterwards. But I just want to put that out there uh, for anyone that was offended. Amen? With that in mind, let's go to God in prayer that I don't offend anybody else this morning. <laughs> let's pray. <laughs> Our gracious God in heaven, Father, we are just so grateful that uh, we can come before you and dig into your word and uh, for your grace and your mercy, God, that allows us to come together and worship you. Uh, Father, I do pray that you will bless our efforts to uh, strengthen our spiritual relationships. And for those of us who, who need to recommit to our relationships and, and our relationship, especially with you, I pray that you will help us to humbly accept that invitation to do so and to really seek out the people that can help us. Uh, God, I pray for those of us who who are weak in our faith, God, who, who, need, who need some encouragement, that we will also seek out those who can help us get to where we need to be and where we want to be in our walk with you. God, bless this time. Bless our day. Uh, bless this sermon. I pray you bless my words, and uh, we pray that we'll have a great time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Today we're going to be starting a new series called Love One Another. I don't know. You've heard this a lot of times. I don't think we can ever talk too much about loving one another. I often have to be reminded to love others, especially if you're a self-centered person. You need daily reminders 
that there are other people who exist around you and that you need to love those people, not just occupy the same space, but you actually need to love them too, right? Especially if you're a part of a family. You need to love them, not just when they're easy to love, but especially when they're not easy to love, because that tends to be when we need love the most. Because like our brother Junior said, Sometimes we get down on ourselves, we go through a range of emotions, and we don't feel like we deserve to be loved. Those are the times when we really need someone to put their arms around us and love us even more. And so if we're committed to that for one another, then they'll have, we'll have less people feeling like they don't belong or like they need to walk away from God or walk away from the church. Imagine if everyone felt loved and loved in such a way that Man, that, why would I want to leave this? When you feel loved by your family, you don't want to just leave. You want to be a part of it. You run to it. You look forward to being a part. And we want everyone to feel that. Everyone deserves to feel the love of God. Amen? So we're going to really focus in on this. Uh, I like this quote by Will, uh, Wendell Broom. He's a professor of missions at the Christian University. And he pointed out that many people look at the will of God as revealed in Scripture and see it like a set of dominoes where everything in God's will is the same size and the same weight. Now, what's wrong, what's, what's wrong with that picture? Right? Think about it. Everything that God commands is the same weight, same uh, importance. It's all on the same level playing field. Now, there is a problem with that, and Jesus had to point that out when he talked to the Pharisees. And he basically asked the question, well, which weighs more? Because to them, the worship weighed more than mercy and justice. They were more concerned about the traditions that their forefathers had set and even some of the laws that they had added onto those traditions. And so they were so concerned about people doing and, and following these traditions, following these rules, that they forgot and neglected what God considers the more weightier matters. God is like, you're focused on the worship. How about mercy and justice? And here in Matthew 23, as we look at here together, in Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24, it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Now, here's the thing. No one could accuse the Pharisees of not tithing. They tithe. They gave. Jesus acknowledged that. He said, you know what you are? What they were doing was biblical, according to Leviticus 27 and Deuteronomy 14. They were giving their tithes. They were commanded as God's people to give tithes. That is our commitment. And even as Christians, we are committed to giving and, and financially supporting the church as well. That's a part of our, our commitment to Jesus being Lord of our lives. But it clearly was not what Jesus considered the more important matters, or as the King James Version puts, the weightier matters. Another example we see in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, it says, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, 
and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Here the prophet Samuel, he's confronting King Saul on a similar issue that Jesus was confronting the Pharisees on. Now what did Samuel point out was the weightier matter? Obedience. Well, look, I give my tithes every week. Yeah, I get the special contribution every week. Well, what about obeying the Bible? Well, James, I read my Bible every day. What about obeying it? We put a lot of emphasis on read, read, read. I've said a lot. I've said over a million times. Read your Bible. Read your Bible in many different ways. On several different days. Read your Bible. Make sure you read your Bible. Read your Bible. How about obeying the Bible? You can take one verse of the Bible and meditate on that verse the whole week. And if you strive to obey that scripture... Is that not as important as reading it or reading a whole chapter? What's the sense of reading a whole book if you don't intend to obey it? And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, we put weight on some things, but what really matters to God are the things that should really, really matter to us. Now, reading your Bible is absolutely important. But if you're not going to obey it, then why you read it? You know, Jesus even pointed out sometimes the Pharisees and teachers of the law who were in error, and they knew, the, they knew the scriptures. Jesus said, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures. That was their job, to know the scriptures. So Jesus was pointing out that you're focused more on the fact that you have knowledge. But what matters most to me is what's in your heart. Because you can read the Bible with selfish purposes and selfish, uh, selfish means to an end. Some people read the Bible to try to prove Christians wrong or point out all the fallacies and inconsistencies in the Bible. So that person can read the Bible every day. I knew someone who memorized the Bible while they were in prison. But they did not intend to lead, live by the Bible. They memorized it from Genesis to Revelation. But had no intention on obeying. God wants us to focus on the weightier matters. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Now, let me be clear. Don't stop giving your contribution. Well, James said, obedience is better than sacrifice. So, bro, can you bring that plate back? That's not what I'm saying. Sacrifice is important. Sacrifice is commanded, but God puts more importance on obeying him rather than saying, when it came down to it, do I obey God or do I just put some money in the plate? God would rather you obey him because if you obey God, then what you put in the plate is a reflection, is a result of your gratitude and your spiritual well-being from obeying God. Does that make sense? When it comes to the matter of relationships, how, how much importance do you think God puts on relationships? See, relationships is high on God's list when it comes to importance. It's so important that God considered it the second greatest commandment to loving himself. That's how much importance God puts on relationships, on spiritual relationships. 
He puts loving one another in the same place on the target as himself. So I have one simple point today. Make it your aim and not just your claim. See, the bullseye on God's target is connection. God doesn't want a bunch of Christians walking around saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. That's our claim. God wants it to make it our aim to love one another. Because if you love one another, that's the weightier thing. Then by that, you will be seen as this Christian because you remind everyone else of Jesus. And we're going to talk about that a little bit in just a second. Christians are connected to other Christians. Have you ever heard someone say, yeah, I have my relationship with God? Okay, well, what about everybody else? Are you connected to other? No, it's just me and God. That's all I need. I'm still waiting for someone to show me that verse in that book, in that chapter, because I haven't seen it. Where God commands us to just walk with him alone. Now, is it important to have a personal relationship with God? Yes, remember? That's on the bullseye. That's on the target. But that's not the greatest commandment. Love one another, which involves relationship. It involves everybody else. In fact, he says, as you love yourself. So you already love yourself. I don't have to command you to do that because you already do. I just need you to love other people the way you love yourself. So. Christians are connected to other Christians. Sometimes the connection is strong. Sometimes the connection needs to be repaired. And I don't know where you are in your spiritual relationships today, but ask yourself, how strong are my spiritual connections? How strong are my spiritual connections? All Christians are connected to God. It starts with being connected to God first. God is like our spiritual router for those of us in the tech world. Most of us are all techies at this point if you have a smartphone, right? You go to Starbucks, you go to school, you go somewhere, you try to get on the Wi-Fi. What are you hoping for? A strong connection, right? So we all hate that dreaded no Wi-Fi signal that pops up. In my household, it creates chaos and turmoil. If the wire was the Wi-Fi goes down, you would have sworn the house was on fire. Dad, dad, and I'm like, what in the world? What, what happened? The Wi-Fi is out again. I'm like, what in the world? But when the Wi-Fi is down, it's like chaos. I can't get on my, oh my, you gotta fix it. You know, I'm like, okay, and that's me right there. That's my picture right there. I used to have hair. The problem usually lies at the source, the modem or the router. So we're not connected to others, then it's because we're not connected to God. Can I say that again? If we're not connected to others, we're not really that connected to God. Because if we were as connected to God as we say we are and we think we are, then we would have a network of spiritual relationships that are also connected to God. That's just how it works. Are you connected? The apostle of love, John, he puts it this way. In 1 John 4, 
verses 15 through 21. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. When he said acknowledges, he's not just talking verbally. He's talking about living the way God wants them to live. That's what John is talking about here. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us because God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, here it is, here's, here's, here's the kicker right here. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, what? He is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So, how can we be connected to God and not connected to others? How can we say we love God but still have hate in our heart for someone? John says, you're living a lie. Just as much as you can't say that, man, I'm, I don't need other people, but I'm just going to be connected, I'm, I'm going to be close to God. It doesn't work that way. It says you cannot say you love someone or hate someone and then love God. You can't not like the person you can't see and then claim the love of God you can't see. It's illogical, is what John is saying here. We show our love for God by loving each other. Are you connected? You know, right here we see God is love. We, he love, we love God because he loved us first. Let's just, right? God loved us. He gave us life. God has blessed us in so many ways. God has shown us love. And therefore, as a result, we, we love God. We, we're connected to God. But then to say that I love God but yet hate my brother, there's a disconnect right there. And not only are we disconnected from our brother, but we're also disconnected from God. You remove yourself from that spiritual router. So you can't be connected to God and hate your brother. Now, we all know, well, what, what causes these disconnections? Usually it's just plain old sin. Selfishness. Pride, right, disconnects us from God, disconnects us from other, right? Love is the only way that we can stay connected. Is when we love each other, we're willing to overlook certain things because we love that person. We're willing to deal with and, and, and not avoid conflict because we got to stay connected. If there is an issue with the connection, you repair it. You don't just leave it unplugged. You got to fix it. In my household, if I don't fix the, 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 the disconnect, it is not a happy home. It is like, you got to, have you fixed it yet? I mean, I can't watch TV. We can't do this. We can't do this. It's chaos. And it's just like that relationally. How many unplugged lives Relationships are in your life. Who do you need to go back and reconnect with? You can't just leave it unplugged. 
You got to get reconnected because otherwise it's going to your relationship with God is going to eventually suffer. Now, how do we get reconnected? Well, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Start with that. Start with loving the brother. Start with reconnecting. Start with reconciling. Start with forgiveness. Start with bearing with one another. Start with accepting each other. All the things that we're going to look at. You've got to start what was in front of you, with whom you can't see, if you're going to be close to whom you can't see. Does that make sense? We can't be connected to God and disconnected from our brother. You know, Junior Hickman shared earlier that he felt like leaving God. He felt like, like first of all, don't you dare. Where are, where are you? Where you at, Junior? You better not. That's a command. I, you know. <laughs> Second, if Julia disconnects from God, that affects me. Because I'm connected to him. I love him. I'm, that's my brother. So if he disconnects from God, that's going to cause disconnect with him and his wife. That's going to cause disconnect with me because I'm going to be over there. And there's going to be some disconnecting going on. <laughs> some disconnecting and some connecting. But... I can't not let my brother not be connected to God. That is going to affect me. And then eventually that affects me and my relationship with God because then I'm like, well, God, why are all my friends leaving you? And after years and years of that, people start to get worn down. And so we got to fight to help each other get reconnected and stay connected to God because we're all connected to each other. So don't you dare, Junior, or anybody else in here. If Jesus expected, that's right, that's what I want to hear. If Jesus expected the Pharisees to aim for the more important and weightier matters, how much more does he expect us who bear his name? Let's look at a few scriptures emphasizing this. We need to be tied to loving God. That's, that's where the connection starts, right? In Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your minds. And then he says, The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is saying, This is what it's all about, people. It's all about relationships. The Ten Commandments, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all that the prophets talked about. This is it. This is the target they were aiming for, the relationships in the kingdom of God. This is what they were talking about. This is what they longed to see. A kingdom where people are loving one another. Where they're connected to God and they're connected to each other. God would never say, it is better for you to be alone. Just me and you. We don't need anybody else. God would never say that. In fact, in the very beginning, God made it clear it is not good for a man to be alone. He said, I, I, I will make a helper suitable for him. We use this a lot in marriages. I think it applies to our spiritual relationships. Spiritually speaking, we all need suitable helpers to walk with us and help us stay connected to God, to stay on target. You got to weigh your relationships. Do I have more ungodly relationships than spiritual relationships? Which one is more important? That's a question you've got to ask yourself because God has an answer for it. If you want to be wise, what does the Bible say? You must walk with the wise. 
talks about bad company corrupting good character. He talks about spirits, the spirit not having anything to do with the devil. He's talking about light not, being, not having nothing to do with the dark. I mean, there's a connection that God expects us to have with other spiritual people that's got to be on the top of our priority list. I think some of us need to go and do some inventory about our relationships. How are my spirit? How many people do I have? How many people can I call on right now if I was going through a spiritual crisis? Who could I call to walk with me? And this passage lays down the foundation of the idea that relationships are at the center of God's will. The second thing is how we show we are his disciples. You know, when we aim for this, when we shoot for this, it shows that, you know, Jesus gives us very, very clear description of how the world's going to know if you really belong to me or not. And guess what? It has nothing to do with doctrine. It has nothing to do with where you worship or, or, the, or, the, or the place of worship. Jesus focuses on one thing. John 13, 34, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love by this. All men will know that you are my disciples. You know, I believe that if anyone is sincerely seeking the Lord with all their heart, like Jeremiah says, he says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will be found by me. I believe that what God does is he brings all those people together from wherever they are. That's what God says in his word. I will bring them from the east, from the west. God will bring people from all nations together for those who are seeking him with all their hearts, who are seeking God, brings us together eventually. I believe that with all my heart. And Jesus says, that's how you know that they belong to me, is how they treat each other. How they treat each other. Now, Jesus sets himself as the standard. He says, as I have loved you. It's not saying as you're used to loving people or as you think they should be loved. He says, no, as I have loved you. So Jesus is saying, follow my example. Now, what was his example? How did he love his disciples? He loved them graciously. He made the undeserving feel like they deserve to be loved. One of my favorite stories in the, in the Gospels is the story with Jesus and the demon-possessed man and legion and how this man was chained up and isolated and, and no one could subdue him, no one could calm him down, and he had one encounter with Jesus. And Jesus reached out and touched this man who no one was, would, 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 would consider paying a visit to and changed his life forever. That's who Jesus is. He is a gracious God. He makes us feel loved even when we don't deserve. We don't feel like we deserve to be loved. He still loves us. He loved them unconditionally. Jesus loved people in such a way that they no longer felt like outcasts. No one felt invisible in Jesus' presence. I mean, Jesus had such a crowd with him that he was accused of spending time with the, the seediest people at the time. They were like, he's hanging out with sinners and prostitutes, all the outcasts of his time. Who would that be today? Those people would feel like rock stars in the presence of Jesus. But do they feel like that in our presence? If we are to love as Jesus loved, even outcasts should feel loved in our presence. They should not feel uneasy. 
They should not feel like they're on the outside looking in because that's not how Jesus loved people. Jesus touched the untouchable. Jesus spoke to people who people would walk by. But that's not who he is. That's not who he's calling us to be. He was sacrificial. He literally lived and died for people. He loved them honestly, not holding back the truth. He looked at the rich young ruler. He loved him, but then he spoke the truth to him. And he didn't want to hear it, but Jesus spoke the truth to him anyway. We got to love each other enough to speak the truth. Well, he's intimidating, bro. So what? You got to get over your fear and speak the truth to your brother in Christ. I don't know. Last time I brought something up, she jumped down my throat. Well, you know what? Jump down her throat in love and speak the truth to her. She will thank you for it. We got to stop being afraid of conflict here, church. Come on now. We live in Harlem. We face conflict every day. All right? You face conflict when you get on the train. When you fight for that seat. You face conflict when you get on the bus. You face conflict when you go to Starbucks. No, you didn't get in front of me. I need to get my Frappuccino espresso latte shaken and stirred four times. You better not get it. I need my coffee in the morning. We, we face conflict all the time. Family members. Co-workers. Strangers. We can't be afraid of conflict. We live in conflict. God will give us the words to say. We just have to be loving enough to say, hey, we need to talk. We need to talk. Jesus was not afraid to speak the truth because he loved his brothers. And then he was humble. He served them. You know, I love the story about Jesus healing Peter's mom, his mother-in-law. And I mean, Jesus loved, he loved his friends. He served them. He washed their feet. I mean, I'm not to that point yet. Well, I'm about to wash the brothers I disciple. The brothers got some jacked up feet, but Jesus did it. Jesus did it. He loved them. Jesus, was, Jesus did not care what was going on. And he loved these guys. He served them. He was humble. He was humble. He went from being their Lord to their friend. That's who Jesus is, and that's what he's calling us to be with each other. When we lay down our lives like that, and the rest of the world sees, they see something different. And we can tell them why it's different. It's because I follow Jesus. You know, Isaiah looked forward to this. His prophecy, 700 years before Christ, he looked forward to the coming of God's kingdom. And God showed him that people would beat their plow, their swords, which were tools of division, into plowshares, which was tools of peace. He, he showed them that people who were described as predator and prey would achieve impossible unity, all led by the little child, which was symbolizes Jesus. And then he, saw, he, he showed Isaiah that men would protect each other and be like a shelter from one another, for one another from the wind. When you see men and women living like this for one another, that is what Jesus looks like. And that's how the world will know that we belong to him. And then lastly, it's how we fulfill the law of Christ. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, you know, Paul talks to the Galatian church, and this is right after he goes through this list of sin in Galatians 5, and he talks about all the things that are obvious in the sinful nature. And he talks about the things that are obvious when you're living according to the Holy Spirit. And then he comes back 
with Galatians chapter 6, and he says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, which is, you know, described as either, uh, either it, was, it just came upon them or they just, you know, impulsively gave in, he says, if someone is caught, you should restore him gently. Now, this is important because when you look at the context of which Paul, he just went through this whole list of things that were obvious, right? Now, there are times when we blow it. And we could be having a really good day, and you just, because we're sinful by nature, you could just say something or do something impulsively, and somebody might be walking about like, James? <laughs> and so what Paul is saying here, in a situation like that, you treat them, restore that person gently. Now, Paul also gives very clear instructions on how to teach people, treat Christians who are acting like brothers and sisters, but who are deceiving people. That you got to make public. He said there are certain things you got to deal with a little more harshly because it can be like a yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. So, but right here in this situation, Paul is saying, no, someone is caught in a sin. Bring them back gently. Restore them gently. Again, the weightier things. Don't treat everybody like someone that needs to be put out the church. Does that make sense? Like, all sin, all sin is bad, but we don't always just, you know, run out there and be like, who can, I, who can I sin against? Sometimes you just get caught unexpectedly because Satan is trying to take you out. And then he goes into verse 2, it says, carry each other's burdens. This is why we need to do this, because some of us are more susceptible to repeated offenses. There are some things, there are some sins that are so tied to our character that we need someone to walk with us to help us carry that burden. Now, Paul goes down further and he says that we should carry our own burden, but right here I want to focus on this because I think sometimes when, when it comes to helping people with their sin, we are so good at pointing it out. You need to repent. You need to change that. You need to work on that. You know, like the guns, like those movies where they spling their guns and they put it back, put it back in the holster. And we walk away like we just won that gunfight. But then that person's all full of holes and like, I'm, I'm leaking over here. You just shot me up, bro. Good, good, you're a good shot. Good, right on target. Heart bleeding. Now you're just going to leave me here? Wounded? That's not what Jesus wants. He says, no, we got to help each other. All right, yeah, you, you, you pointed it out. But now let's walk him to a place where he can get it dealt with. Let, let's help her get to a place where, where she can get better. That's love. That's love. Right? Proverbs 27, 17 says what? As iron sharpens iron, so one person helps another. We got to help each other when it comes to the matters of sin. And the next, I love this passage here in Romans 15. It's Paul was talking about an issue that arised in the church where some of the Christians had problems with some of the Christians who were eating meat that were, that were uh, prepared in the same markets as the, the, the temple worships, and, and people had sensitivities about that. They were like, hey, I can't eat that meat. It was, it was prepared in the same market as those who worship idols. And there were some stronger Christians who were like, yeah, but that doesn't have anything to do with, with us. So they were at, a, better, they were at a, a different place in their faith. They were okay with that. And so Paul is saying right now, says, okay, well, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, to build them up. 
So there are going to be times when our brothers and sisters are weaker than us. Or you may be that brother or sister who's weak and who needs someone to build you up. And if that's where you're at, how, how, do you, how would you want someone to help you? You want them to build you up, to, to believe in you, to tell you, look, I know you can do this. I know you can get, you, we can get through this. We can get around this. And I thank God for the people who walked with me and helped me and built me up over the times where, where I had to, man, this, this sin, is, sin is heavy. It's heavy and we need to walk alongside each other, building each other up because the world will tear us down. I mean, just recent news about all these celebrities who's been exposed. I mean, you know Dr. Huxtable. Do I need to say, I don't need to say any more about that? The world is tearing him up, relentless. I mean, you got people making comments about him and, and, and talk shows and all this stuff. He's guilty. Probably is. I don't know. I wasn't there. But here's the thing. What does he need right now? What would help you if you had fallen into some egregious sin? Would you not want someone in your life that can help build you up? At the end of the day, what really matters to God, what he values most, is repentance. God does not want people to be destroyed. He wants people to come to repentance. And I often wonder, man, Man, did they have somebody in their life telling them, bro, that's wrong? Did they have somebody who, who was in their life who wasn't afraid, who wasn't caught up in their, their celebrity, who wasn't caught up in their stardom, who said, you know what, this is wrong. You need to stop. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. All I know is we can't be like that. We can't be so above people helping us, that we're not willing to let people speak the truth to us. And here's the thing. Let me let, me let the cat out the bag. Not everybody's as articulate as Jesus is. It ain't always going to come out the right way. You may need to walk away, let it simmer for a little bit, let it marinate for a little bit, Ask the Lord, okay, what scripture is this connected to? Because if this is biblical, if this is something that you want, then I got to obey it. I've been told things before, and I'm thinking, did she just say that? And you walk away, and you know, you kind of, you got to get around that and say, okay, Lord, show me the truth behind this. I'm like, you know what? She was absolutely right. Amen. And you repent, and you know what? You feel refreshed. You feel refreshed. And then you can go back and say, hey, sis, thanks for telling me the truth, bro. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Next time, just, you know, you know, stay in love. Some of us are hard to talk to. And it takes some people, all right, I got to go talk to James. And we're like shadow boxing, like, okay. Lord, give me the courage. Give me the courage. And then they get there and they talk to you and say, bro, you said this, da, da, da. And, then, and it doesn't mean to come out that way. It's just that they're just trying to build up the courage and talk to you. So don't get caught up in the, in, in, in the delivery. Get caught up in the message. Is it true? 
Because if it is, thank you. Thank you for telling me. Thank you for loving me. Amen? So, guys, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to get very practical over the next few weeks. I love you. To God be the glory.